would expect them in order to see them happen is we would take take them for what they are. We would recognize them as opportunities to share the gospel with someone. <coughs> so help us in this area that we would be a bold witness for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 8, just hold your place there. We're going to get there in just a little bit. I'm going to uh, try to do something to be a help to you. I've given you a handout tonight so you can kind of follow along with some of the stuff that we'll be teaching uh, on. And uh, I, uh, the last two Wednesdays, um, I've had input uh, after the services that said, Pastor, that's just too much material too fast right now. We can't go to that right now. So I'm going to try to slow it down a little bit, for one thing. Uh, we won't have as much uh, scripture to look at tonight where you're just constantly turning in your Bible. Um, but we will still uh, look at things from a biblical perspective. And then, Lord willing, and I'm, so I'm going to go, uh, Lord willing, next week, uh, if you'll bear with me. I, I, I don't normally do this, although we've done it a time or two in the past, just because of the type of thing that we were dealing with and the, the benefit it was to us. But more than likely, starting next week, for the next two or three weeks as we finish this study up, uh, we'll probably have the, the screen down and some notes on the screen for you to, to be able to see. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not going liberal. I'm not trying to be one of these churches that just, you know, put all the everything up on the video screen. Uh, but there are some times when we're studying something like this that in order to get all the material and to be able to uh, be a help to follow along, it is helpful. So we're going to try to do that in the next two or three weeks uh, to be a help to you. Tonight I've got a handout for you, and Lord willing, next week if all the technology will work the way it's supposed to, we'll try to have that uh, visually up here for you so you can be uh, alert and, and paying attention uh, to what's also being said at the same time. <clears throat> that being said, I'm going to do a, just a very summary view in a nutshell of some of what we've already talked about, and then we're going to get into some new material tonight, and um, and I will try to pace myself uh, much slower. I really thought uh, after the first week that I had somebody say, boy, that was just, I, I got lost somewhere in the middle, it was just too much, too fast. I tried to slow it down quite a bit last Wednesday night, and I really thought I had done a good job at slowing down, but I, I apparently was not aware of how much, I, I've got verses of scripture written here in front of me guys didn't, and so asking you to turn to all those places, uh, I could see how easily it would be difficult to follow. So we're going to try to uh, help with that situation tonight um, and uh, see if that can't, can't be a help to you. So we're dealing with the topic of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the need that there is to reach them with the gospel. And we found that there were two reasons uh, why people, generally, why people become a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, there are a few others out there that are that are less likely, but uh, the vast, vast majority of them are put into one of these two categories. Number one, they were either born into it, their family was already a Jehovah's Witness, and they were raised that way. Or the second one is um, they were brought in from another uh, belief system, but they were not well-grounded in their doctrine. And the the witnesses, the mission, they call them the missionaries that go out and do the mission work, um, are actually trained in some ways to ask questions in a particular way, specific way, the way they word it, to shed doubt <coughs> on Scripture and to cause you to try to, or to try to cause you to uh, become shaky in your doctrine. If you're not solid uh, for a Bible reason on your doctrine, then it's it's you're susceptible to hearing these things from these folks and, and hearing some what they call hard questions that, again, if you don't have a Bible answer for them, it's very difficult to follow. And so um, last two, the last two weeks, we've dealt with the idea of know what you believe. And we've dealt with it from the side of here are some things that the Jehovah's Witnesses could ask you trying to get you to doubt your doctrine and to, and to try to give you some scriptural answers to that so that you have a solid foundation on these issues. And so we're going to look at some of those again tonight. And then we'll begin to start looking now on the flip side of that coin, which is then can we go to their their scriptures, their writings, 
and show them where those writings are not accurate, that they're not right, and, uh, and try to help them understand that. Um, I will say this, that getting a Jehovah's Witness to realize that their belief system is wrong is only half of what needs to be done. Um, oftentimes, I think we get the idea that, boy, if I could just get them to see that that's not true according to Scripture, then then everything will be great. Well, that all that did was get them to not hold to their belief system. But keep in mind, they believe that as strongly as we believe what we believe. And you could imagine if all of a sudden tomorrow all that you believed crumbled and, and there was no truth to it, how skeptical you would then be about is there any truth? Can the truth even be known? If so, where is it? And that's the vacuum that is created uh, when we accomplish with the Holy Spirit's help that first half of reaching a Jehovah's Witness, which is getting them to realize that what they're teaching is not accurate, it's not right, it's not true. That's only half of it. And then we've created a vacuum in them that now has to be filled with the truth of God's Word. And uh, the Holy Spirit will help with that. But I will say this, that in every instance of every Jehovah's Witness that I have found that has come out of the Jehovah's Witness belief system, every single one of them, without exception, now there may be some out there, but the ones that I've looked at and studied, which have been about between probably 50 and 60 of them, different accounts and so forth, and their testimony, how they came out of it, every single one of them, it took literally months, if not years, for them to finally find what they believe to be the truth. The sad fact of the matter is, very, very few of them uh, get into doctrinally sound ministries after that. Uh, many of them go to the Catholic religion. Um, some of them go to the Lutheran religion. Some of them go to, uh, a lot of them go to the charismatic uh, groups and the non-denominational groups. And uh, very few of them go to ones that are doctrinally sound. And I think there's perhaps two reasons for that. Uh, one of them being that <coughs> we, for far too long, uh, for whatever reason, maybe because we're either too lazy to study our Scripture and know our doctrine from the Bible, or maybe because we feel like we're too busy serving the Lord that we don't have time to stop and waste time to deal with the Jehovah's Witness. And that certainly has come across the hearts of some people. When they come to the door, their answer is, I'm sorry, I'm not interested, and close the door. I just don't have time for you. Is another. We don't say it that way, but that's in action, that's what we do. I think it's meant for those two primary reasons. There may be some other reasons as well. Uh, but the other, the other thing I think that is a difficult thing is the fact that uh, getting them to understand actual truth from God's Word, real truth, uh, is, is, takes, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of patience, and it takes a lot of prayer. And again, a lot of, I hate to say it this way, but a lot of folks that are in our kind of churches, they like to have fast results. They like to see somebody they share the gospel with, and they see it, and they get saved, and now they're in church, and they're being uh, discipled and growing in, in the knowledge of the truth. And we are very instant gratification-type mindset sometimes. And sometimes it takes work. It takes work. <coughs> so, uh, again, keep, keep these things in mind, these thoughts in mind. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a, just a rough idea of what they believe. They take pretty much every aspect of Christianity and they distort it or they twist it and turn it around. I'll give you a nut, in a nutshell, this is not an exhaustive list. There's some other things and nuances of things they believe. But these are kind of the main topics that they hold to and that they believe. Um, first of all, they do not believe in the Trinity. Uh, they do not believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as all being one God but three separate persons. Um, and in fact, they say that if we believe in the Trinity, that we are polytheists. We believe in three gods. We do not. We believe in one God who, uh, who uh, reveals himself in three persons. And um, so they believe that Jesus is not God. They believe that he was the first created being that God made and that uh, he is Michael the archangel. And so they believe then that Michael the archangel was then used by God to help create the rest of creation. 
that Jesus did not come into existence until Michael came out of heaven and was born on earth, and they, they believe that Jesus became Jesus from Michael, the archangel, when he was born uh, physically on the earth. Um, and that's where they believe in Jesus Christ. They do not believe that he is deity. They do not believe he's God. They believe he's created <coughs> by God. And then they believe that when Jesus died... He returned to heaven in a spirit form. There was no bodily resurrection according to them. And that he returned to his role of being Michael the archangel. And that Jesus Christ is not in heaven, that Michael the archangel is in heaven. Now, I already know some of the wheels in your heads are spinning, and you're saying, but the Bible talks about Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. But their argument to that is that we have an inferior translation of Scripture that is wrong and that that is a mistake in the translation, and that they have studied the Greek and they believe that they have the, the higher intellectual standard of translation in their New World Translation. So I, I understand it's easy for us to say, well, i got Scripture for that, but they're not going to trust the King James Version Scripture because they don't believe it's a superior translation or that it is a infallible, preserved Word of God. Uh, they believe that their New World Translation is at that level and that this is a much more inferior translation, which the exact opposite is actually true, obviously. Uh, there are linguists that do not hold to Christianity that are even atheistic that would tell you that the New World Translation is one of the worst translations of Scripture that is out there, uh, just from a linguistic standpoint. And um, So anyway, that's they hold to that. They believe that Jesus' body... Uh, just dissolved. It, 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 like any other mortal flesh and bone, it just decayed in the grave. That when he rose from the dead, it was a spiritual resurrection, not a physical resurrection. And that as he ascended back to heaven, he became again Michael the archangel. And that when he comes again, he'll come as Michael the archangel. Um, so these are the things that they, they believe in. Uh, they believe that Jesus has already returned. Uh, they predicted it in 1914 that he was going to come and set up his millennial reign. <coughs> they believe that he, he was going to come in bodily form. They projected this and prophesied it for uh, several years prior to this. And when 1914 came and went and there was no visible return of the Lord Jesus, then they adjusted their teaching and said, well, he really did come, but he came as an invisible uh, return and that he now rules in spirit uh, the earth, and his headquarters is um, the Watchtower Society in New York City. And that, that's, that's where he rules from during his millennial reign now as an invisible um, uh, king, if you will. Um, there are some requirements for salvation. Uh, they believe that you need to, and here's the exact wording they use, that you take in the knowledge of Christ. Now, what they mean by that is that you accept what they teach in their Watchtower literature about who Jesus is. Uh, that is a requirement for salvation. Now, they're going to come to your door and they're going to say, well, don't you believe that you've got to believe in Jesus in order to be saved? And yes, we do believe that. But what they mean by that is something different than what we understand it to mean. They're meaning we've got to believe in Jesus as portrayed in the Watchtower literature. What we understand it to be is we put our faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for us on Calvary. So be careful because they are trained and they're taught to ask you questions to get you to agree with them. And they mean something completely and totally different by it. So be very careful of that. The second requirement for salvation, that ought to tell you something right there. There's only one requirement for salvation, and that is by faith. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. By faith. Uh, that's it. Plus nothing, minus nothing. Um, so the second thing is that you have to obey the laws of God. Now that then is in direct conflict with Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. This is what we dealt with when we dealt with the subject of repentance, that obedience to the law is works. At least if, if, if we read this as part of the requirement for salvation for a Jehovah's Witness, we would say that. But yet, we'll use the word repentance and mean the same thing by it. We just won't say it that way. We've got to be careful on this idea of repentance. What we understand biblically for it to mean is not a forsaking of our sin. It is not a keeping of the law. It is a change of heart and change of mind about our disbelief prior to meeting Christ and turning to Him in belief and trusting Him for what He's done on Calvary. We see our sin differently at that point. There's a change that takes place there. But uh, the forsaking of the sin is what the Bible refers to as sanctification. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives once we are saved. And that's where that comes from. Uh, The third requirement for salvation. Yes, there are more than two. The third requirement is you have to belong to the Jehovah's Witness organization. They believe that every other religion out there is apostate, that it is heresy, that they are the only true religion, that there is no other, and they don't believe anyone that is not part of the Jehovah's Witness organization will ever make it to heaven. If you don't belong to Jehovah's Witness, you won't make it to heaven. And so you see how it becomes a fear-based belief system. I don't like to call it a religion because it's really not a religion. It's just a system of belief that they have. Um, and so they hold to this. They, they basically put fear in you that, hey, if, you don't, if you're not part of our organization, then you can't, be in, you can't go to heaven. Now, that comes into play a little bit later when they start putting standards on you in order to belong to the Jehovah's Witness organization. There are certain requirements you have to fulfill, and there are certain things you cannot do. And if you do them, they will literally cast you out and shun you. It's not talked about a lot, but they do. They will shun you from the Jehovah's Witness organization, and that means you can't go to heaven. That's what that means. Okay? And then the last one is, it's a very broad word that they have in their writings, but it is what they believe, that the fourth requirement for salvation is loyalty. That's just it, just the word loyalty. Now, they don't say in what area, and so it's open to interpretation. And this is a problem many times, because what they mean by that is anything that the group, the, the, the governing panel, the governing council, that there's eight of them in New York City at the headquarters that set forth the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses. They do it through the publications of the Watchtower. These eight meet, and they decide what their doctrine is going to be. And uh, so loyalty is subjective to whatever that panel decides is going to be the next thing they believe in or the thing that they're going to change that they used to believe and now they have to, because maybe there's some problems with it, they have to change it to something else. And so loyalty, if they make that change, you have to say, okay, I agree with that. And that's a requirement for salvation. You cannot uh, get to heaven. Now, they do only believe that 144,000 select group of Jehovah's Witnesses that have ever been from the time they started till the, the present time are going to get to be in what they call heaven where the presence of God is. It's interesting that before the 1800s when all this came to fruition and they started believing this, apparently nobody born before 1800 is going to be able to be a part of heaven because they weren't part of the Jehovah's Witness organization. Um, so apparently it's only going to be the people that have been born since about the middle of the 1800s um, and, and onward that will make it to heaven. They do believe that if you're a faithful member of the Jehovah's Witness organization, because obviously there are far more than 144,000 of them, that as long as you've done all the requirements for salvation, you might not be that special group that goes to heaven, but God is going to recreate the earth into a paradise and the rest of them that are part of the Jehovah's Witness organization that have done all they should to be what they call saved are going to get to dwell for an eternity on an earth that is a paradise, but God's presence isn't here. He may come to visit every once in a while, um, but, but they, don't, they, they won't uh, <clears throat> be able to be in the presence of God. That being said, they do not believe in the omnipresence of Almighty God. 
They believe he can only be in one place at one time. That he cannot be in... And so that's part of the appeal to try to be part of that 144,000. Is if you really want to be in God's presence, that's where you, you've got to be. Most Jehovah's Witnesses, if you talk to them and ask them, are you part of that 144,000? Most of them will say, probably not. And what they're saying by that is, we're content to live in paradise for eternity. Now, what happens to those who don't meet those four criteria? I mean, obviously, we're not that. We don't belong to the Jehovah's Witness organization. They don't believe in hell. They don't believe in eternal punishment. So what their mind is on that and their doctrine is on that is that when you die, you just cease to exist. That's the end. That's it. Uh, and they, they use the illustration of Jesus ceasing to exist in the grave, and now he's back to Michael the archangel at this point, uh, as an illustration of what happens to us when we go in the grave, if we're not part of that. So they do not believe that Jesus is God. They do not believe, because of that, they don't believe in the Trinity, obviously, don't believe in, and I mentioned that earlier. Uh, but when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit, they don't believe he's a person, that he has any kind of a, 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 an active role or, or a... Um, uh, they, they believe that he is just the um, active force of God the Father. <coughs> in other words, God the Father in, in action, if you will. That that's when they refer to the Holy Spirit, they're referring to what the whole, what God the Father is, what Jehovah is doing in uh, in his uh, godhood, his state of the Godhead, dealing with it. So they don't believe in uh, Jesus being God. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit being a third person of the Trinity. They believe it's just the essence or the, the active working, the active force of God being worked out in the world. Um, so that creates a problem. That creates a problem. Um, they, don't, they, they used to believe that Jesus died on the cross, but in order to cast doubt on our version of Scripture, they say that they have studied the Greek and found that he was not crucified on a cross. He was crucified on a torture stake. Now, that just happened uh, back in the 1920s or so. Um, you, in fact, you used to be able to get, you can still go back and see older historical watchtower magazines uh, that are online. And in the 19, I think it's 20s, maybe early 30s, they, they used to have the emblem of a cross uh, slanted and then a crown around it, or a cross with a slanted crown around it, excuse me. And in the late 1920s, 1930s, they changed it to just a stake with the cross around it. And they came out with this doctrine that Jesus was not crucified on a cross. He was crucified on a torture stake. You say, well, why is that a big deal? You know, what does it matter? Well, for one thing, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And it says that it was a cross. So that's a problem for us. would not be a problem for the Jehovah's Witnesses because they don't believe this book is infallible or correct. Um, but the, um, the reason that they have come out with that doctrine is so that they can use that when they're discussing it with somebody who does not know their doctrine well as a way to cast doubt on our scriptures and say, well, see, we've studied the Greek. We've had these intellectual, uh, well-known uh, linguists that have studied the ancient Greek and found out that this is not uh, a cross. It's actually translated a torture state. Um, and we sit here and we think, how ludicrous. How would somebody ever say that the cross was not translated correctly, that it was just a stake? But you know how many Baptist preachers will stand in the pulpit and say, now this word is not the best translation? <laughs> That's the exact same thing that the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing. And yet we will condemn what they've done with it, and we will accept what we've done with it. And it's the same thing. Which is why it is so vitally important that we believe every single word in this book is exactly what God intended to have translated for the English-speaking people, for us to know it. Every single word of it. If we doubt one of them, if we feel like one of them is not translated correctly, or that there's some kind of a conflict there, then we undermine the very authority of all of our doctrine. If one word is wrong in here, what's to say others are not? And if so, who's the one that determines which ones were done correctly and which ones were not? Now it becomes a subjective matter. And what happens if a preacher preaches on what is written here and you believe that that word is mistranslated? Then you, there's no authority in the preaching. Now it just becomes the pastor's opinion. And by the way, 
Don't ever be, base a doctrine on a preacher's opinion or any other man for that sake, uh, for that matter. Just Our doctrine has to come from God's Word, which is why it's so vitally important we have a pure Word. All right? Again, just trying to give you some ideas of where they're coming from. All right? Uh, I've gone through most of some of the things that they believe. Um, they do believe that they can lose their salvation. Um, they do believe that only adults can be baptized. <clears throat> they believe that the Lord's Supper is only for the 144,000. And they don't call it the Lord's Supper. They call it the memorial. And... Uh, the problem with that is this, and, and a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses will say this, if they go to a, a meeting and the Lord's Supper is observed, the memorial is observed, many of them will leave saying, I didn't partake because I don't think I'm one of the 144,000. But how would you know? I mean, they do believe in practicing it, but only the 144,000 are allowed to partake of it. And you don't know if you're that or not. So a lot of them just refrain from it. They just don't observe it at all. Um, then they have some things that they forbid. Um, they believe that you cannot uh, have a blood transfusion. There have been a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses that have died uh, simply because they weren't willing to have blood transfusions. They believe that um, when the Old Testament taught about not uh, partaking of blood, meaning to eat it or drink it in the Old Testament times, that, that whether you're taking it intravenously or through the mouth, it's the same thing, and they don't believe that's right. Uh, of course, they don't believe in going to war. They don't believe in voting. They don't believe in Easter, Christmas, birthdays. <clears throat> okay, so those are kind of the normals that a lot of people are pretty much aware of uh, with them. Um, but there's two of them that a lot of us don't understand. One of them being um, they're not allowed to read or listen to. And a lot of them won't even accept if you try to give it to them. Any kind of literature or speech that is anti-watchtower, they're not allowed to. They could lose their, their salvation. They could uh, be kicked out of the Jehovah's Witness organization if they entertain these things. If they're caught reading something that is anti-against the doctrines of the watchtower, um, which is why I'm not saying that a gospel tract handed to a Jehovah's Witness will never work. Because if that Jehovah's Witness is already doubting some things, it may. But if you hand it to a devout Jehovah's Witness, it's going in the trash can. They're not going to read it. They can't. They'll lose their salvation if they do. And again, it's a fear-based salvation. They do that intentionally so that their people won't read things about the truth. Because the truth, the truth is this. As you read Scripture, it is quick and it is powerful. And it is sharper than any two-edged source. And it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And this book has a way of reaching the heart of a man. And so again, if you, if you come up with a track and you think, boy, this is the best track I can use to show them uh, the truth, a, a devout Jehovah's Witness isn't even going to crack it open. Now, I'm not saying don't ever hand one out. Because on the off chance, there's one that's already starting to doubt some things in their uh, belief system. It may very well be good. And it may very well help. So continue to do it. But don't be surprised and don't be shocked if you watch them go over and throw it in a trash can or they say, I don't want it. Um, if they catch on in your conversation that your discussion is going to be anti-Watchtower, they will change the subject or they will end the conversation. And, and they, I, I've, I've seen it hundreds of times at this point, either personally or in videos I've watched, in audio things I've heard of people that have tried to share the gospel with a Jehovah's Witness. And so we'll talk a little bit better about the best way to approach them then, because if that's the case, how, how can you reach them? If they're not going to give you ear, they're going to change the subject. Is there a way to reach them? Well, sure there is. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a few moments. Um, the other one that they don't talk about a whole lot is the shunning. If, uh, if you do something contrary to the teachings of the moral, what they consider to be the moral laws of Scripture, uh, they will shun you. If you decide you're questioning 
the beliefs of the Jehovah's Witness organization, or you've come to a place where you already are kind of anti, you don't believe it to be true, they will shun you. And even to the point of it being your immediate family, if it's a father, if it's a mother, if it's a brother or sister, the family will shun that person. And not to the point of they won't go to the meetings with them, to the point of they will not speak with them again. Uh, they, they consider them to be dead to them. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses, they come out and they try to make it sound like they've got a positive message and, boy, we're, we love everybody and wouldn't you love to be a part of this and see what God has to say. They dress nice. They look sharp. And people, it's appealing. Their message on the surface is appealing to people. Uh, they, they start off with, can we share some good news with you, some, some good uh, information with you, things that will bless your heart from the Scriptures. And that's what they say. They start with the Scriptures. And then they'll move into their literature. And so they, on the surface, it seems very pleasant. But boy, once you're involved with it, if you ever try to leave it, there is a strong, strong shunning that takes place. And they don't talk about that a lot. It's just something that's known among the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, if you do sin and you come back repentant, and by repentant, it, it's... I don't want to even share in a mixed crowd some of the things they make some of their people go through to express their repentance. It's, it's absolutely, I think, mentally sick, to be real frank with you. Um, especially if it's an issue of immorality. Uh, there's a level to which they require them behind closed doors to reveal every nuance and every detail of the incident. And it is just absolutely sick what they require them to do to show their repentance. And again, uh, just very, very, just some, some things that just are not good there. All right, so, um, so how can I reach them? If they're not going to knowingly take things or listen to things that are anti-Watchtower, uh, how, can, how can I reach them? Well, first of all, you need to saturate the opportunity that may be provided to you with prayer. That is head and shoulders above everything. It ought to be something that if we're really burdened about reaching the Jehovah's Witnesses, we really ought to make a matter of daily prayer because you never know what day someone may knock on your door. Lord, help me to be ready. Help me to have an answer for them. Help me to, help me to have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to know what to say that will reach their heart. And so bathe it in prayer. Number two, have a heart of compassion for them. Um... Our first inclination, <laughs> a lot of times as a, as a Baptist, whether independent or otherwise, there's some other uh, some other groups of Baptists out there too that are the same way. <clears throat> we think that in order to be steadfast and bold in the gospel, that we have to be offensive and mean. Uh, we have to be super critical, and there's almost an arrogance. We wouldn't say it. We would we would say, well, that's prideful. I don't. I'm not prideful. But we almost have an arrogance of, I have the truth, you don't, ha, ha, ha. And, and we're almost mean to them in our presentation to them. Uh, we get argumentative with them in a, in a point of, it seems like we're being, being harsh and, and mean to them. We need to have compassion for them. We need to be broken hearted for them. They're lost, just like any other lost person. They're on the way to a devil's hell and they don't even know it. And they need to be told these things. And so have compassion. Number three, you need to learn at least one truth uh, regarding their, uh, their error that you're very, very solid on. Uh, we're going to talk, you've got a whole list of them here tonight. We may not get to all of them or any of them tonight, really, looking at the time. But have one of them that you're very solid on. Make sure you know it, that you can, without even having to have a notebook or a paper in front of you, Say, you know, I'm glad you came by. I've been, I've been reading some of your material, and I have a question about it. And it, it didn't make sense to me. I was wondering if you could explain it to me. They will jump at the chance. And so have at least one that you know really, really well that you can have them turn to in their literature or you can have them turn to in their new world translation and say, now this verse says this, and this is what it says, but then I was reading over here, and it seems to contradict that. Can you explain that to me? And ask them to, and, and that will help bring to light in their minds some things that don't make sense. They're going to have to go back and say, I don't know. I have to go find somebody that knows the answer to this. And through doing that, it will start a seed of doubt 
of the truthfulness of what they hold to and believe. And it's going to need to be nurtured. It's going to need to be fed. It's going to need to be dealt with. And so they may bring somebody back in the next week or two uh, that's more senior than they are in the hierarchy of things, that knows more and has studied more with the idea that we're going to answer this question then have a second truth ready. See, then, okay, and then, then how about this one over here? I was, I, I was reading this week and I found this one too. It I, doesn't make sense. And you, you keep doing that uh, until they see that there's some errors there. Um, and I would say this, because they will not tolerate any anti-Watchtower uh, published literature, uh, they, won't, they will not affirm it to be truthful. Uh, they'll say that, well, you know, we like the King James Bible. It's just got problems. So use theirs because theirs has the problems. Don't be afraid to use theirs. Know which verses that don't, don't add up in their, in their stuff and use theirs. And, again, initially, when you get to the second part of reaching them, after they've come out of the Jehovah's Witness belief system, then you say, now, here's the truth. And you bring them the Scriptures and let them see the truth of God's Word. Um, be careful about them changing the subject. You've got to be... <clears throat> you gotta be um, uh, they, they're very good at what they do. Very good. You notice they're always in pairs. You ever notice that? The reason is there's usually one that is pretty good, and then there's one that's like well-studied and an expert. And they will almost always allow the one that's pretty good to do most of the talking until they get stuck. And then the other guy will jump in or the other lady will jump in. They do that on purpose because they're training these others to become senior witnesses as well. And so, again, uh, be careful of letting them change the direction of the conversation. Stay on it until they answer your question. Uh, don't, don't, Don't let them go to another passage and say, well, what about in your Bible over here? Get an answer from them. Say, well, we can look at that, but can you, can you answer this for me first? Because this is really bothering me. I can't figure this out. And don't, don't let them change that because they're, they're, they're trained to do this. They're trained to move the subject when it's something that they don't have a good answer for. Um, and so, so understand that. Know that about it. All right? All right, let's look at our handout very quickly. I, I promise you I won't keep you long. Uh, you can read over this this week. We'll look at it a little bit further uh, next week, Lord willing. <clears throat> so uh, most all of this information uh, I got directly off of the JW.org website, which is their official website that has all the stuff that they believe on it. So I've put most of the sources on here that, hey, this is where it's from. Um, and we've, we've tried to state all of the sources on here. So, again, we're use, this is just showing their, their uh, stuff. So this, this initial uh, paragraph, identifying the prophet, is directly copied and pasted off of their website. And it says, So does Jehovah have a prophet to help them, to warn them of dangers, and to declare things to come? These questions can be answered in the affirmative. Who is this prophet? This prophet, and this is the answer of the JWs, this prophet, quote-unquote, was not one man, but was a body of men and women. And it initially was the small group of footstep followers of Jesus Christ, known at that time as the International Bible Students. These were the folks that uh, Charles Taze Russell had uh, recruited to study the Bible together in his Bible study. That these were the prophets, if you will. Today, they are known as Jehovah's Christian Witness. Of course, it is easy to say that this group acts as a prophet of God. It is another thing to prove it. And so this is a direct quote from their Watchtower, April 1st, 1972, page 197, magazine. So this is what they say, yes, we have prophets. And they set, pretty much they are saying they set the doctrine of what we believe because they are, um, they are the prophets of God. So um, on their website... People have asked the question, and this is actually in one of their commonly asked questions that they're answering. People have asked them, said, um, what about prophecies that have not come true? Uh, How do you answer that? So 
um, they will go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's look there very quickly. I've got it on your handout. Uh, but let's look at Deuteronomy chapter number 8. And uh, let's go down to... Uh, is that right? Deuteronomy 8? I'm sorry, I might have the wrong chapter. Excuse me. Oh, let me see. I'm sorry, I got the wrong chapter here. Uh, give me just a second. Deuteronomy 18. I don't know why I did that. I left a one off of it. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I should have known that because I know the passage well. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Excuse me. And uh, let's look down to verse number 18. And so uh, let's back up to uh, verse number 17. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Now, we understand that the prophet here is speaking of Jesus Christ in its context, that this is the prophet that's going to be raised up, that's being prophesied about here. But since they don't believe that Jesus is God, they believe that it's just a prophet that's going to be raised up. Uh, And so he says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And that's where they end it. Okay, that's where they end it. Uh, look with me in the very back of the page, and I'll show you what, what they did here. So this is their answer. True prophets speak in the name of God, but merely claiming to represent Him is not enough. And so this is their answer. Uh, they quote Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 to 20. In other words, they're saying, we're God's prophets, and we're the only ones you should listen to, because if anybody prophesies other than us then they're not to be listened to. But they don't answer the question, which is, what about false these all these false prophecies? And they conveniently, on their website, leave out verse number 21. Notice what it says. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? In other words, if somebody gets up and speaks, and it's not from the Lord, how do we know that? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord... If the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. In other words, this is not of the Lord. Okay? They conveniently leave those two verses out of their answer. And they try to make it sound like, well, we are the prophets of the Lord, and if you don't listen to us, or you try to prophesy in some other God's name, some other religion, then you're not right. But they don't, they don't bring into account verses 21 and 22, which talks about the fact that if there's a prophet who says something is going to happen because God said it, and then it doesn't happen, God tells them, don't fear that one. Don't fear that one. All right? So when you ask this question, they may, try to, they may try to make it sound that way. And they may even take you to this passage and read verses 18, 19, and 20. Then ask them if you can hold their Bible for a minute and ask them to read the next two verses. Okay? Now, here's a list of some things. We're not going to go through all of them. You can certainly read them. Um, and the sources, as much as is possible, if you have any ability to get a hold of these copies of these of these particular um, either physically or digitally that you can pull up on your iPad or your, or your phone so that they can see it. A lot of this is on their website. You can go straight to their website for it, actually. So that will help. Um, but in 1897, this was what they said. They said, Our Lord, the appointed King, is now present. Since October 1874. In 1899, just about a year and a half later, two years, almost two years later, they said the battle of the great day of God Almighty in Revelation 16:14, which will end in A.D. 1914 with the complete overthrow of the earth's present rulership, 
is already commenced. Notice they say that this battle is already ongoing. It's going to last 15 years and it'll be over in 1914. So, obviously, that did not happen. 1916, they said the Bible chronology here and presented shows the six great thousand-year days beginning with Adam are ended and that the great seventh day, the thousand year, uh, years of Christ's reign, began in 1873. Well, obviously that didn't happen. By the way, they set three different dates, and finally on the third one they said, well, he came, it was just an invisible coming. So, uh, anyway. Um, all right. Uh, 1918, they said... Uh, therefore, we may confidently expect that 1925 will mark the return of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the faithful prophets of old, particularly those named by the Apostle in Hebrews 11, to the condition of human perfection. In other words, they're going to come back and be in human form again, but perfected this time. And they'll be among us. Well, no, that didn't happen. At least I haven't seen Abraham recently. Uh nor have I seen Isaac, to be honest with you. I've, I have met a few Jacobs, but I'm not sure that's the one they've talked about there. Uh, 1922, the date 1925, is this is what they said, 1925 is even more distinctly indicated by the Scriptures than 1914. In other words, they said, well, what we said about 1914 didn't happen, so we're really certain about 1925. I mean, we are just dead certain on 1925. In 1925, they reiterated this. They said the year 1925 is here with great expectation. Christians have looked forward to this year. Many have confidently expected that all members of the body of Christ will be changed to heavenly glory during this year. This may be accomplished. It may not be. Well, now they're hedging what they said earlier. In His own due time, God will accomplish His purposes concerning His people. Christians should not be so deeply concerned about what may transpire this year. So they changed what they taught on that. In 1925, they came out a little bit later. In, uh, that was in January 1st, the one we just read. This one's in September. So it's almost the end of the year now, and nothing has happened. It is to be expected that Satan will try to inject into the minds of the consecrated the thought that 1925 should see an end to the work. Well... Yeah, that's probably true. I don't know that it was Satan injecting into the mind as much as the false prophecy. Uh, 1926 comes. And it says, Some anticipated that the work would end in 1925, but the Lord did not state so. The difficulty was that the friends inflated their imaginations beyond reason, and that when their imaginations burst asunder, they were inclined to throw away everything. So, understand this, that most Jehovah's Witnesses um, do not enjoy witnessing. But they have to. It's part of their salvation. Uh, you've heard of the, the missionary plod. You ever notice Jehovah's Witnesses when they walk down your street? It's like they're at a snail's pace. Because they have a certain amount of time they have to fill. And the fewer doors they can do, they hope somebody will stop and talk with them. So they don't have to knock any more doors. They do not like doing it. In 1925, a lot of them were saying, boy, I can't wait because then the labor is going to be done. We don't have to do this work anymore. In 1926, some of them went ahead and quit doing the work. They were still Jehovah's Witnesses in belief, but they quit doing the work. And they're trying to get their workers back, saying, boy, you shouldn't have done this. You should have kept going. 1931, there was a measure of disappointment on the part of Jehovah's faithful ones on earth concerning the years 1914, 1918, and 1925, which disappointment lasted for a time, and they also learned to quit fixing dates for future for the future. Well, that, that should have been found the first time they missed it. Uh, but they finally came out and said that. 1941, receiving the gift, the marching children collapsed or clasped it to them. Not a toy or plaything for idle pleasure, but the Lord's provided an instrument for most effective work in the remaining months before Armageddon. So in 1941, of course, World War II is, is right there on the horizon, and things are not well. And uh, 
they're saying that Armageddon, this is you know the setting for Armageddon, just a few months away. Here it is. And the children that now are grasping their playthings, they're holding on to them uh, in preparation for these last days, this time, these few remaining months we have before Armageddon happens. 1968, true, there have been those in times past who predicted an end of the, end of the world, even announcing a specific date, yet nothing happened. The end did not come. They were guilty of false prophesying. Why? What was missing? Missing from such people were God's truths and evidence that He was using to guide them. And that's one of the more truthful statements they've made uh, and can actually certainly be used uh, after giving some of these to them. Okay? And then uh, they, they, again, kind of softly indicated that, okay, we've done more research, we've studied Greek better, We've done further study, and 1975 is kind of the year, but they didn't make as big a deal out of 1975. In 1968, they're saying, why are you looking forward to 1975? Uh, Because some people were trying to fix a date there again. Uh, So I would say this. uh, You can can get one or two of these sources, have have them there, and you can use those to read... Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 to 22. And then say, and by the way, use their New World Translation. It's in there. Now, it doesn't read the same way ours does, but it still makes the same point. That a false prophet is not to be trusted. If they prophesy and it doesn't come true, don't don't trust them. That same statement is in their Bible. So use that and say, now here's where I'm confused. I've read this in, in your New World Translation. And yet I, I saw that all these prophecies that were made did not happen. And I'm confused by that. Can you explain that to me? And again, that's a great end step. Let them ask them the question. Let them try to explain it to you. And if they give you an answer and you're like, well, I don't know where to go from here, say, that's interesting. I'm going to have to think a little bit more on that this week. Could you come back next week and talk with me a little further? I want to give this some more thought. And trust me, they will. They'll come back again. And by then, have another truth of Scripture. There are many. We gave you a few last week. We'll reiterate some of those next week, and we'll have PowerPoint slides to try to help you with that. Um, How you can use Scripture from their own Bible, their own New World Translation, that still shows that Jesus is uh, God, believe it or not. They've done a good job of getting almost all those verses out of theirs, but there are still some that show it and prove it. And so, again, that's a great, great tool to use. All right, I've tried to go slower tonight. I've tried to give you some information in your hands. And so feel free to give some feedback on that. Pastor, that was still too fast or something. I, I, this is important enough. I want you to get the information. And if I'm going too fast or it's going too much for you, I need you to let me know that, okay? Um, because it's it's that important that we understand this stuff, okay? Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer, and uh, hope this will be a help to you. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you'll bless as we take some time to study this. Lord, we're not studying this because we want to be right and prove that they're wrong, or that is not 